Blacktail hunting is if you could if you could have in the Webster dictionary one word for blacktail hunting, I would probably say it's it's going to be grind. It, it's going to be a grind. You're going to have to go out day in and day out, like you do it here. You know whether it's taking you know your day trips. You know I I put everything on my back and I go back in for like a week, but it's you know you, the days are long. You're hunting all day long. You're you know you're glassing. You're you're up on vantage points. You get down in these these bowls and you, you you might get close to animals and you don't because they're skittish and then you're getting up early again and you're doing it again and again and again and you can't kill something if you're sitting in camp right you you have to get out and put miles you you got to get out you got to you know whether it's going out every day to do the same thing in the same locale or you're someplace else you're going to get into them the more the more you're out but Chuck Adams always said, you know, once you've once you shire Columbia blacktail, the rest of the 29 become pretty simple, right? And Chuck is a guy that I looked up to. I've read a lot of his books. You know, he was a big influence for me getting into bow hunting. And Outdoors podcast hosted by Lucas Paw. Our purpose is to help educate and inspire within you a renowned passion for the outdoors. So join us as we speak with experts in the industry to share insight and knowledge that helps make hunters and anglers more successful. Funky Cole Medina. <laughs> What's this remind you of? Like junior high? Yeah, not of coronavirus and wearing masks and <laughs> riots. Whole <laughs> tone loaf, baby. Yeah. I think if you grew up in California and you're a white kid and you didn't listen to that. Something's wrong with you. You're too sheltered or something. What's a white kid? Yeah, what's a white kid? Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> white kids lives matter. <laughs> what a crazy world, huh? No, oh, dude. We've been we've been recapping talking about twenty twenty, the kind of year it's been. It's been a absolutely bizarre year. Probably probably don't wanna taint our discussion today. We're gonna spend a little bit of time talking about hunting blacktails in California, but um yeah, it's just been crazy year. Um, most know it's middle of June, and it feels like it's freaking been like three years in one year, and feels like it's already in December. <laughs> it's crazy to think it's already halfway through the year now. But yeah, and you're you know, it seems like at some point time is sped up, but then you get locked down and time slows down. Yeah, and for people that hunt, like you get out, and it feels like you climbed out from underneath a rock and now it's hunting season yeah especially for you yeah yeah it's like people get locked down in their house and then they like get out and they're like god what day is it i don't even know what day it is i haven't showered in three days i haven't got a haircut in two months it's like it's just something else yeah if you're like a backyard 
backyard barber or your neighbor's a backyard barber like yours. Mm-hmm. Or, Underground cosmetology, man. Yeah, that's the new the new fad, man. Just yeah, people got bills to pay. You thousand, know, thousand dollars a haircut. Yeah, I tell you, for a while, people would pay a hell of a lot of money to get their haircut. Yeah, if you especially were, women, man, they got to have all that stuff done, all that yeah. foil in their hair and all that crap. <laughs> foil. <laughs> yeah, it is. A, it's foil, it? Yeah, foil wrap. Yeah, yeah. The hair catches on fire. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, I got my buddy Micah Brown here. Micah's no uh, stranger to the podcast. We had him on, uh, oh, it's been a couple years ago. We did uh, podcasts um, about some broadhead stuff, some camel gear that we've repped. Um, heck, I think, I don't know, we've done we've done a few podcasts in the past. but uh, Yeah, Stabilizer one. That's right. Yeah. We did the one on crossover at, uh, at the uh, Salt Lake show. Mm-hmm. We did with, with Brandon and, and Jason. That was a good show. Anyway. Mike is down, just hanging out. We're chasing pigs and just hanging out and and uh, doing the stuff that we do, shooting bows and and uh, just enjoying each other's company. But uh, yeah, man, welcome back to the podcast. Awesome, yeah, yeah. It's good to be back. Good to uh, get out, do the hunting thing. Um, good to just get out and do something other than yeah. work. And you and I both know we're one of those essentials that you know. So we got to kind of work through the. Uh, through the looking glass at the same time way other people you know got kind of got stuck in their houses and stuff and circling back on what we're talking about being being able to be out you go out and you're like oh my god there's the sun like i you know i people are like oh i haven't been out i haven't got a haircut haven't got whatever but now we're out you know hunting and yeah you have you know a, a good section of your hunt coming up sooner than i do but we're hunting somewhat the same same deer yeah. species so yeah absolutely you know i mean it's awesome you got to wear a mask everywhere you go and you know we even saw it this morning we went in had breakfast no one had a mask on i mean everyone's just following the rules to the t just like the governor stated right yeah it's like a <laughs> unbelievable uh, yeah like a mini version of a backlash like a um i'm not going to do what you're going to i'm not going to do what you're saying kind of thing so yeah yeah it's I don't know, like I say, we don't want, want to get too far off on a tangent, but, you know, it's, it's it's one thing when the governor says something, and it's obviously important to him, but then when your local ordinance, law enforcement says we're not going to enforce it, you know, what's the validity of even putting that in place, you know? And, and I think at one point, yeah, it was probably valid, and but the problem is we went backwards. Like, everyone should have been in masks like three months ago. Yeah. Now we're saying, everyone, you need to be in a mask, blah, 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 when it's like, okay and then there's theories both ways it can be transmitted through i mean it's like there's always this there's always a side story to every other story that you hear on on the fake news media anyway so yeah but it's a uh a tangent segue from mask wearing into uh blacktail black blacktail hunting yeah so we are on <laughs> we are on the cusp of a zone blacktail deer season opening the earliest archery deer hunt uh, in the western United States, actually opens the second weekend of July, and I would probably venture to say the hottest deer hunt, oh, deer hunt in uh, totally in California, if totally. not probably in the United States for the most part. I mean the humidity oh, yeah. and yeah, the temperature and yeah. oh yeah. So that, that's one thing people talk about. You know, it's like oh yeah, I want to come and do a zone hunt. Okay, yeah, come on down. There's not a ton of public land. There is, there's, I mean, there is public land. I mean, you think about everything um, in Los Padres National Forest, north, I mean, there's a ton of public land. Um, but if you get on the east side of that, yeah, you're you're talking 
105, you know, 108 yeah. during the day. Mm-hmm. I mean, not uncommon where, where I chase a lot of the blacktails I hunt. It, it can easily be, um, you know, 108 during the day. Yeah. And it's interesting. And one of the things I've found is during that time of day, I see the most activity and I see the most activity from like noon to like three to four o'clock. Cause I think what happens is, is okay. The deer are active at night. They're nocturnal. They go and they bed down. They get to where they're going to bed right at first light. They're sitting down. They're sitting in that heat all day. They get restless. Mm-hmm. So around noon, one o'clock, what I've seen, I've seen more activity and I've seen over the last three to four years where these deer get up, they're feeding, they're moving around and here it's freaking 105 degrees, right? Mm-hmm. The other part of it is who else is out? when it's 105 degrees chasing blacktails in the middle of the day. I mean, yeah. everyone's back at camp. Everyone's sitting in their AC, right? They're not, they're not out doing that. And, um, yeah, I mean, there's a group of us here, a couple of buddies, we we've been hunting together for quite a few years and we've all found good success during that time. Like we're all jamming at that time. Like when we knew that it's like noon, it's like, okay, it's go time, but it's reverse psychology, right? Cause everyone yeah. thinks early morning, late evening, that's your only window. Yeah. And, and part of the reason for having having this podcast is the two different two different versions of the same deer that you and I hunt. Yeah. Where where I go and something we'll talk we'll get into it in depth later is you're not doing that in the middle of the day. Those deer they're hunkered down. They move. You know, it's it's a lot of the terrain is totally different. It's high alpine, uh, wide open. But what a lot of if you can picture like a Colorado high country hunt, that's exactly kind of my backcountry hunting experience that's that's where those deer live mm-hmm. live and thrive so they're like i said we'll get into it but to- totally different hunting where i during the day i'm taking naps almost like elk hunting like you know yeah. you, you get that midday lull for a minute and um and it makes sense for the coastal blacktail you know because if they're going to get ambushed there's you know bear and stuff on mountain lions are not out wandering around when it's that hot especially yeah. especially bear and obviously we can talk yeah in length about that a little bit yeah you know our bear population but yeah. yeah you're right it's it makes sense out in the a zone to uh hunt in the middle of the day like that because nothing's going to bother them for the most part yeah absolutely and well predators are a, a big thing that affect populations of all deer populations but we've got that kind of on the list too but yeah just just kind of re getting back to you know a black-tailed deer um there's a lot of controversy out there is it a subspecies of a mule deer wasn't in existence before a mule deer and and we've read both sides of that right everything i've ever read is that you know they are a subspecies of a mule deer typically range located um california western oregon washington um and most of the coastal regions up and down specifically you know there's there's um you know you've got your columbia blacktail um, which again extends Pacific Northwest, inland BC, and then you've got your Sitka black-tailed deer, uh, which is more coastal BC, Southeast Alaska, and Kodiak, Alaska. I've hunted both. Um, talk a little bit more about th- the difference in hunting in both, but I think specifically we want to talk mostly about our Columbia blacktail and and uh, really the the places they inhabit. And like to your point, you know, and I think it'll be interesting as we contrast, you know, coastal A versus like the Trinity B zone type bucks. I mean. Mm-hmm habitat's different landscapes different temperatures are different rut activities different i mean mm-hmm. they're the same species of deer right transplant them probably either place and they'd have the probably very similar you know genetic dna yep. but they live in completely different locations climates they eat different you know food i mean yeah. it's it's incredible how 
this deer and, and and i'll tell you i mean hunting what we call you know the pacific gray ghost is i'll put that hunt up against any hunt yeah. in the 29 yep. in the north american 29 slam because it's there it's no joke it's no joke and you know and i'm not obviously this isn't a podcast to, to knock um other deer species or people that hunt other deer species such as mule deer or if you're an avid whitetail guy and you're just happen to follow along and listen to this podcast but um yeah there's a reason same thing they call it the ghost of the coast um, and you and I have talked about our experiences and I've, there's been many a time where I've literally been within five feet of them, walked past them, turned around to look at a different area that I've just come from and had a deer stand up behind and walk behind me or jump out and bust from where I just came from. They're, they're highly intelligent and insanely spooky when they want to be, they'll go nocturnal in a heartbeat and you won't ever find them again. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And just to kind of break down a little bit. So like when we talk about a zone for most that may or may not know what that means, a zone extends basically south down into like the Santa Barbara, Ventura um, County area. That's the farthest south a zone. And then extends all the way north, um, basically up into kind of the Santa Clara, um, Alturas area, uh, which is in that more northern part of California. And then from there, you kind of um, segregate um, kind of the B zone um, from the A zone, whereas your B zones start to get up into the Trinity Alps, um, you yeah. know, kind of Ukiah area north, and then you've got your C zones as well that <clears throat> get up there. And then we're going to talk a little about some of the D zones, right? The D yeah. zones that hit on the western side of the Sierras, the western front, um, that kind of gets into some of those hybrids where you're seeing, you know, body size of a black tail. Clearly, the tail is black, like mm-hmm. you would traditionally see. But you're getting into, you know, 160-inch frames on some of these bucks, and you're looking at them like, okay, there's got to be some crossover, some type of, um, you know, genetic transfer there of a mule deer and a, and a, high, and a black tail so yeah and you'll they'll have all you know the, all the characteristics big huge white neck patch you know big round rear end and you just look at the antlers and, and they're massively you know they're the bases are thick whether it's mm-hmm. their g1 all the way back whatever it is they're they're thick they're they have that they have that mule deer look to them and when they rut their necks i mean they're you're just like you feel like you're hunting mule deer sometimes yeah, yeah. yeah. Some, they'll push some of those will get up 250 pounds 200 pounds easy yeah and so yeah your, your coastal coastal bucks obviously you're you know you you can expound on this because you're a coastal coastal blacktail guy is their racks sometimes will get big but for the most part their bodies are you know they're fairly they're they're a stocky they're a stocky deer with long legs yeah that's what a blacktail is they're bigger than deer. a coos deer mm-hmm. you know they're Nowhere by comparison to a whitetail deer, right? I'm thinking, yeah. when I think of whitetail, I think of like Montana, where I grew up, northern Montana, Kansas, obviously eastern. And then you look at like the Alberta whitetails, they're they're behemoths, right? Yeah. They got massive racks, but their racks look dwarf sometimes because there's this 300 plus pound body yeah. sitting underneath them. But um, yeah, like our, our coastal blacktails here, I mean, a good mature buck, um, you're looking at probably 175 on the high end. Mm-hmm. maybe 200 pounds yeah way high end but yeah most of these bucks you're hunting they're 150 to 175 pounds yeah, right that's a that's a fat whitetail or fat mule deer doe that's exactly you know you're so you're looking at a smaller bodied 
it's almost like the Thule elk thing, like the Thule elk size animal to Roosevelt or, yeah. you know, Roosevelt would be your biggest elk and then sure. your Rockies would be, and then your Thule's, which yeah. we only have here in California. Correct. Be smaller bodied, but some of those racks, they'll, they'll get massive. They're massive. But, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. All based on really, I mean, the type of rain season you get, what type of, you know, feed they have. I mean, all that plays in the consideration on, on the size of those animals, but yeah, kind of back to these coastal um, blacktails, you know, I mean, predominantly, I mean, what you're going to see here, you're going to see a lot of forks. That's a, I mean, that's a pretty standard mm-hmm. genetic here. Um, you see two by threes, you see three by threes are pretty rare. Four by fours or a four on either side is a shooter buck. It, you know, you just don't see many of them. Um, they're out there. Uh, they exist. Um, they're older age class typically. Yeah. Um, you know, the as the bucks start to get older age class, you'll see eye guards, um, you know, growing on some of these deer here. But, you know, the part of the problem that I see and I find with hunting a zone, you know, as they give out 20, 30,000 tags. I don't even know what the number is. It's disgusting. You know, and success rates are, are in the, you know, low teen percentage. It's not great. But a legal buck in the state of California is a fork on one side. That's all it's got to have. Yeah, a fork on one and side. And then the, the fork has to be branched in the upper two-thirds section of the antler. So if that antler is three inches tall, as long as the, the last third of that the last one inch of that three Correct. inches forks you're good it's a game buck and yeah. people go out early you know opening day rifle season and they hammer bucks like that and yeah. part of the problem is when you give out that many tags it's really basically an unlimited type of tag situation because you're never going to sell out of those a zone tags yeah um people go out and shoot those bucks and they never get a chance to grow big you mm-hmm. know and really where you see older age class deer is you know private properties places like that that they don't get pressured they don't get hunted as much and um and some of those wander off but generally speaking i mean a lot of those public land bucks man if it's legal and yeah it's rifle season yeah. man they're getting hammered so it's you know the age class does suffer here and we're going to talk more about predation i think that's the other piece to the puzzle and, and why we just don't see the same populations that we've probably seen in years past um you know in the deer populations yeah yeah for sure that predation is a big deal and um you know everyone knows that obviously in california we have a uh, population the human population issue too that's sure you know that pushes these deer around too so yeah so we talked about azone we talked a little bit about you know temperatures can be again i've hunted weekends where it was like it is now 80 degrees in the late july beautiful right deer you know they're i mean they're out they're out later in the mornings they come out a little earlier in the evenings um but i've also hunted them when it's 105 108 and it's just doggone hot right and uh and to your point you know a a good tactic i use is i'll sit on a knob somewhere where i can see 360 and i will glass under every single oak tree Mm -hmm. any shaded area that i can find and i'm looking for deer and um you know a lot of times um you know that's where you'll find them you know you're going to find them in areas that are you know hunkered back in um you know underneath oak trees big canopies any areas that provide good shade typically is a good spot where you know when those hot parts of the day you're going to see them or i'm telling you man it's crazy i see more deer active moving around just and sometimes they'll get up out of their bed they'll spin around if the sun's moving right they'll get up to get out of the sun but just enough to maybe you know get up walk around for two three minutes stretch their legs out maybe grab a little bite to eat and then they'll go find another spot and then they'll bed down so it's interesting here um, hunting them in those climates because um, it's so different than I think about like you know when I've hunted B zone I had that late season um, archery tag last year and uh, just completely 
completely different, right? Oh yeah. I'm yeah. hunting bucks that are in the rut, um, big black tails. I mean, rutted up. They look like mule deer. I mean, dark capes on them, you yeah. know, dark bodied, 200 plus pound deer with, you know, good size, good size antlers on them. And, uh, just so different than the bucks that we hunt down here. But, uh, I mean, maybe you can expand a little bit more. You're, you know, you're more of a kind of a, um, B zone mountain hunter, uh, in the blacktails specifically versus more of a coastal hunter like I am. Yeah. So a lot of people that don't have experience <clears throat> with California or hunting in California, realize that i mean we could right here you know we get close to uh close to sea level right and then you go hunt the the sierras those those mountains will push 10 12 12,000 feet mm-hmm. where i'm hunting blacktail is traditionally um where i like to go is like that 7,000 foot 6,000 all the way up to 8 all the way up in, into 9,000 so you're you're legitly hunting blacktail that can range from 10,000 feet all the way down to the coast but if you were to flip-flop the two, they probably wouldn't know what to do because sure. they've been coastal bucks, A-zone bucks for so long. They've been B-zone bucks and then D-zone bucks, same thing. Yeah. But, yeah, an interesting concept that <clears throat> Lucas and I, we almost wanted to, what were we going to title this, like I-5 bucks or something like that? Or, yeah, the Mason-Dixon line, right? Yeah, Supposedly yeah. that's at least how the game and fish defines, you know, kind of the, the, the breakover point of where you get true Columbia blacktail versus what they consider like maybe like a Pacific hybrid blacktail mm-hmm. or a lot of the D zones that, that come down to I-5 and go up into the west side of the Sierras have, it, it, it's pretty predominant when you see some of the deer mm-hmm. that are killed in some of those areas that, that, I mean, you're looking at that and saying, how is that a blacktail, right? I mean, it's yeah. a, it's 160 class frame you know with a little junk on it i mean they're they grow some some huge bucks up there and there's no doubt that some of those bucks from the east side of the sierras that maybe drop down in from nevada or other areas can drop right over into the west side a little cooler on that side and uh you know end up potentially crossbreeding with some of those blacktails yeah and it's pretty interesting too you you know you you look at your if you were to line up say 15 traditional a zone bucks blacktail columbia blacktail and then 15 Columbia blacktail, and I'm, I'm giving uh, Lucas the parentheses, the finger parentheses right now, of bucks on the east, side. The east side of I-5. What you're going to see is antler width on those deer on the east side of I-5 is traditionally it'll be prolifically wider than a coastal blacktail. And if you think about coastal blacktail and Columbia blacktail, you know what, what, that, that, what that theory is is saying is those antlers are tight and they're meant to they're meant to drive through thick brush and mm-hmm. thick tight brush coastal coastal brush sage chemise stuff that's yeah. just i mean we just can't even hardly move through or think about moving through and they blow right through that stuff yeah you put your head back if your if your antlers are really wide right and it makes sense mule deer are traditionally desert deer like high high uh, high plateau type deer your antlers can be real wide because you don't have to take them through trees. Mm-hmm. Where a blacktail, blacktail prefer being in tight, close quarters, and they don't like being out in the open. It's part of their skittish, that's yeah. part of the blacktail. So you'll traditionally find blacktail deer have, they'll have tall antlers that are tight just usually to the inside of their ears, and Columbia blacktail have the ears of a mule deer. Mm-hmm. They're, they're those long, they're not the, the oval kind of spade type shape white-tailed deer ear they're the 
they're the same ear as a yeah. as a uh, mule deer. Yeah, and think about like I mean, I've never hunted blacktails in Oregon or Washington, but that landscape there i mean that rainforest that oh, yeah. stuff is just i mean you can't even see a few feet in front of your face the next thing you know there's like you say you can almost step on a black tail in there because there's times i've had them bust out and be gone at 300 yards and i've had times where to your to your point come around a corner and there was one sitting there next to a tree knew you were there yeah and yeah. didn't even bust out and move but you didn't see them until they busted out right i mean they're they're super sharp but um they're there's something else. I mean, when you start to hunt them and get to know their behaviors and learn about them more at the different times of year when they're in their rut and then when they drop their antlers and in the spring, I mean, driving around in the last few weeks, I mean, you can get, you know, 50 yards from them and they're just standing there feeding. Yeah. You know, how you okay. doing? I'm in my velvet. And in two weeks, ain't going to happen. Yeah, that light right? the switch. Like they, yeah, they got a light switch or, a, you know, they got yeah, an in, in, internal calendar that says, hey, look, as soon as it, you know, as soon as I go hard horn or whatever, I'm out of here. I'm nocturnal, um, you know. But it's, I've I've had instances where I've actually watched guys and friends from you know across a drainage <clears throat> walk around, getting close to deer, put stalks on them, and those blacktail will literally let you walk around a, a rock, and they'll get up on the other side and chase you around the rock until they have the exit, and that rock could be the size of a living room, and they'll let you literally walk on top of them yeah. before they bounce yeah and i always think about like hunting mule deer a lot of times mule deer will typically when they blow out they go up and sometimes they'll come around they'll try to get a wind if they can or they just freaking bound and they're gone right we were talking earlier about whitetails you know hunting whitetails down to riverbeds and stuff they just motor mm-hmm. they just run yeah right i mean they can hop too but yeah. they're just gone that whitetail's flashing you know but blacktails it's kind of a mix Mm -hmm. you know you were talking about that earlier i mean they have that ability to bound where they'll bound and they'll stop like a lot of times the does will and they'll kind of put their foot down Mm -hmm. but then sometimes when they run they're gone and then when they get into the thicket they're they just disappear and that's uh, one of the theories that uh, we had talked about before is you know the the theory of which which is a subspecies which came first which and you if you sit back and really look at the grand scheme of things black-tailed deer are so much different than a white-tailed deer and if you drop the mule deer if you had to drop the mule deer anywhere along that spectrum it would be legitly in the middle of those two their range and habitat their body size um i guess or, i don't know i don't antlers know. to some extent yeah, right i yeah, mean yeah. the crown the, the, you yeah, know the, the antlers eye guards. yeah the antlers the eye guard um the you know mainly the body size it's yeah. just you don't see you won't see a 300 pound blacktail and if you do then someone genetically modified it and it's pumping it full of steroids or you just don't see it but you can see 300 pound mule deer and 300 pound white tail, white tail for sure and yeah um but yeah, they're just the, just the, the the body size is super interesting. But going back on that to- topic, we were talking about the exit strategies. Whitetail will will hop to get away just for a minute, but they like to run. And I've I've hunted I've hunted whitetail in eastern Washington. You know, you and I are both California residents, so um, eastern Washington isn't that far to get to. And you'll see those things motor out and they're running on a dead sprint and they'll go like a mile and make a big old circle. And they usually come back not too far from where they live. If you bust a blacktail, he's not circling back anywhere remotely close to where he left or came from. He's gone. And same thing with mule deer. You may never see that deer again. They're gone. And when, when you think about it, right. Um, whitetail, when they bust, 
they have to go through a lot of thickets. So it's easier to run than it is to jump and get snagged up and snarled and caught up and stuff. Mule deer, stot, which is the bounding, that they call it stotting, which is the bounding that you're talking about. And they, they're so efficient at it, it's easy for them to go in the terrain they live in, right? Plateau. So they can go from flat to downhill to uphill super fast. And they're escaping predators over sagebrush. So why not jump? Blacktail will do both. I've busted them and seen them stop all the way down ravines. I've seen them stop in the middle of it and dead on take on and do a sprint. And it's happened with does. It's happened with bucks. It's happened with, you know, little, little fawns and yearlings. Mm-hmm. It's so it, to me, it's, they have a combination of both of those characteristics. And that's one of their, you know, because they're in, in the open and they're also in, in tight cover. So, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like when I think about like, you know, when you think about like mule deer habitat where they live and basically I would say anything east of the Sierras, basically all the way to the mid part of the U.S. I mean, you know, there's some transplanted in Texas, eastern Colorado, you know, South Dakota, North Dakota have, you know, have strains of mule deer. But then, you know, our blacktail specifically run all the way up basically from the western side of the Sierras all the way up the coastline, right? But to take our blacktail here on the coast and put one in Colorado, right, in western Colorado, there's no way, yeah, right? Not happening. But then you think about, you take, you know, a mule deer out of Montana and transplant them in 105 degree heat out here, yeah. right? So it's just, it's so inter- interesting to me how animals basically adapt to their habitat, right? Yeah. And I even think about taking a Rocky Mountain elk that's, um, you know, high in the Alpine in, in Colorado and dropping them over here and in the La Panza zone where it's, you know, 110 degrees in the summer. These tulies, you know, yeah, they, they're resilient. They, yeah, right? they, they operate just like the A-zone blacktail. They can, they can do that where that Rocky Mountain or let alone try that on a, try that on a thousand pound Roosevelt. Roosevelt, right? Roosevelt. It's not yeah. happening. And the funny thing is, I mean, the behaviors of the animals are very similar. I mean, mm-hmm. we hunt the tulies here. We hunt the, you know, we, we I've hunted Roosevelt's and, and I've also hunted um, Rockies and, and they all bugle. Mm-hmm. They all go into a rut, right? They all shed antlers. They all get into velvet. I mean, they all feed on very similar, you know, habitats. So it's like elk or elk and the behavior is the same. It's just where they live and how they adapt to that climate is, is interesting. And I've always been fascinated by that here living where, where, where I'm at here on the central coast because these animals endure I mean, everything from cool weather in the wintertime, very dense weather, cold, all the way to the extreme summer heats here. And uh, it's just incredible. I mean, that's part of the reason why the wines do so well here. The grapes are stressed so hard from the hot temperatures to the cool climates. Yeah. It's the same thing with the animals. You know, they're stressed so hard. And you also got to wonder, does that stress on them? You know, is that why these bucks are 150 pounds and the yeah, tulies are, mm-hmm. you know, five to 600 pounds just because they're stressed so hard from the heat back yeah. into the cooler climates and environments. I mean, it's no, it's, it's nothing for it to be a hundred degrees here during the day and 50 at night. Right. Yeah. And having that, you know, 40 to 50 degree temperature swing in, in one day. We're, yeah, we're, we're hunting. It's never like that. Like, you know, and when, when we say we're, Lucas hunts a zone, a lot of a zone, which is the coastal stuff. I hunt the, what they call inner mountain, which is B zone. And I'm not a big time D D zone guy. Um, but I truly hunt uh, a lot of the B zone, B zone stuff. And those summer days, you know, you'll, you'll get up there. It'll be 85, 90 degrees. 
and then it dumps down at night. And sometimes every once in a while, just because the ele- and that's the elevation change, mm-hmm. it'll dump down and get really, you know, fairly cold. Um, but for it to go back and forth like that, which it does here almost, almost nightly is, I mean, that's just not something that, that the deer that I hunt up in the B zones are even remotely like used to at all. Like, yeah. I mean, that would probably do the same thing. It'd probably stunt their body growth and yeah, you know, yeah. It's kind of like, um, you almost think about like grizzly bears and brown bears. Everyone's like, you know, cause I mean, you know, not all grizzly bears are brown bears, but all brown bears are grizzly bears type of thing, right? Mm-hmm. When they say that, right? Because grizzly bears typically are inland. They never go, you know, Pacific where they actually feed on like fish and stuff like Salmon, that. Yeah. Whereas brown bears, that's their main, you know, that's their main source of food um, is is anything coastal. So it's kind of that same presence with deer. I mean, like I said, you you couldn't take a mule deer and probably transplant them out in this environment and they would do well versus taking one of our blacktails here and dumping them, you know, in Northern Montana where it's, you know, minus 20 degrees with wind chill, you know, yeah. I just, I, they yeah. wouldn't, they wouldn't, they wouldn't know what to do probably, you yeah, know, I, so. I'm, and we were talking about it, that, that I, the whole I five thing, it just, those there's all it is. It's not like there's a high fence out on highway five going North and South in California. They could easily walk across a, you know, a 40, 40 yard or 30 yard section of asphalt and, take off and go start going for the wide open if they yeah. want but they just don't do it because biologically and everything genealogy and everything based on what what a blacktail is they can't handle it their body cannot handle it yeah and it was interesting about talking about like not to tangent off into mule deer but how mule deer are only found in certain areas right and mm-hmm. you're, you're not going to hunt a mule deer in florida you're not going to hunt a mule deer yeah. in louisiana because the temperatures they won't they can't survive they can't fight off you know um they can't fight off all the viruses and the other parasites things that parasites and, yeah. that that can um that they need that cooler dense brisk you know freezing temperatures to do that so yeah it's just interesting the the difference between you know all the different species and um i've hunted all of them i've i've hunted all species except the the coos deer and mm-hmm. um and it's interesting when you hunt them i mean you know you go like to kodiak island and hunt those sika blacktails um and uh, you know, super huge bodied. I mean, these are three hundred pound deer with these like little coos deer size like antlers on them, yeah, right? And yeah. they're just huge body deer, double throat patches, just beautiful deer. Um, you know, and, and living on an island where you know brown bears are, I mean, a huge predator there. Um, you don't have so much, you know, lions or anything, but bears are a big predator there. And uh, the temperatures on Kodiak, I mean, can get frigid cold and last for months and months and months on end, mm-hmm. right? And, and they can get bad winters where it kills off a lot of deer there. You know, these that doesn't happen here, but these deer face predation, right? Yeah, and yeah. not only the coastal deer, um, but also, you know, the populations of deer in the Sierras. There's lots of cats in the Sierras too, right? And yeah. whatever fishing game puts out as a number of, you know, mountain lions is, you know, times that by about 10 because they're never going to tell you the true number. But yeah. kind of talking a little bit about, you know, predators and kind of affecting populations, you know, it, it's a known fact that kind of mortality rates um, across most, um, you know, deer species is about 45 to 50% mortality rate. So, if a doe has two fawns, typically one overall is going to survive. A lot of times two survive. Sometimes they can have triplets. I've seen that before. Um, but even the younger does, they'll typically only have, you know, one fawn for the first few years. But um, 
knowing already that your mortality rate is that high and then also knowing that you've got this population of mountain lions that can eat or kill up to probably one deer every week to every other week, yeah. right? Um, in a growing population where you can't control predators, that starts to become a problem. Yeah, so a lot of people <clears throat> are unaware that uh, California, and Lucas and I just looked it up, it's something that I knew was roughly around 2010. Mm-hmm. But we 2012, yeah. 2011, 11 2012. Yeah. Um, they stopped, basically, in California, you cannot um, run dogs after after bear anymore. And where I used to hunt uh, a lot, growing up rifle hunting in the Trinities, um, you would see dogs strapped to the front of old pickup trucks, and they'd rhino line or, or you know, tough coat the hood and eye bolt the dogs to the front so that that way the dog didn't get the um, the exhaust fumes of the truck. And the Trinities are known, they're loaded with bear. I mean, it's... If you go hunt, hunting out there, you're gonna. If you don't see a bear a day when you're out hunting, then that means you haven't been up. You're sleeping too long, or you haven't yeah. been up walking around enough. Very true. And you know, the the bear population now. So you figure that was a pastime, a heritage for a lot of people to. Um, and I used to run into them all the time, and you would see, you would see a guy, his kid, and then that guy's father, and then grandfather. So there's four generations in a truck driving down logging roads getting ready to unleash these hounds and chase these bear. And it's just, um, that's like a pastime that California, unfortunately, California got rid of because, yeah. you know, there's a fine balance. So the the bear actually will kick mountain lions off their kill and force the mountain lion to go kill again because the bear populations are so high in California that the deer populations are suffering because of that predation. Yeah. And, and you're, you're exactly right. My experience on the hunt I had, the archery hunt I had in Northern California, we saw at least one mature boar every day we could have actually, you know, hunted. We saw quite a few sows with, with cubs, but we were seeing at least one, you know, good legal bear a day. Um, and, and the truth is, I mean, you put a bear tag in your pocket, you probably have a higher probability of killing a good bear than you would killing a, a probably a legal buck. A legal black To some extent. Without, right? without a doubt. Without yeah. a doubt. If you... Uh, if you get into that rifle zone and you don't have a bear tag in your pocket, but you want you at some point you you do want to harvest a bear, um, your chances of harvesting a, a deer that day or a bear that day, you're 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 gonna see you're gonna see black bear. It's, yeah, it's, absolutely. It's rampant, and it's funny too because a lot of people um, don't understand that California has that bad of a bear problem, but it's. Same thing. The environment is perfect for them. The alpine bear. The I mean, there's. It's yeah. I mean, you, it's ripe. You basically run the whole western front of the Sierras um, from top to bottom, mm-hmm. right? And you're talking down in Los Angeles County, all the way as far north as you can go, Crescent City, and up farther north of there. And there are so many bears, and California puts um, a quantity every year. So they they used to have a quota that got met every year, right? Yeah. You used to be able to bait bears years and years ago, yeah. and they got rid of bait. And then 2012, they stopped allowing the use of dogs. And ever since 12, they've never, ever had a quota filled, right? They've yeah. been around eight 900 bears in a season. I think the quota is 1,200 or 1,500 bears. You're mandatory required to, to harvest report them. I think immediately after yeah. kill, they typically will check the skull they'll pull a molar but um they have not reached a quota since they've allowed they've discontinued the use of hounds and with that potential concern there yeah your bears are just overpopulating right now Mm -hmm. 
California banned bobcat hunting yep. right this year. They banned bo- uh, mountain lion hunting years ago. So at some point, bears are going to become probably on that list, right? They're going to magically say, "Oh yeah, the populations have, you know, have have dropped significantly. Now they're in the range of a threatened species. Next thing you know, we're going to have nothing but predators roaming California. Yeah, and you're going to be lucky to find illegal deer anymore, right? Yeah, I think uh, if things don't change, and it's sad too because obviously you and I talk about it a lot, and that's the whole reason for this podcast is because we're super passionate about blacktail like you and i were talking about i i'm obviously a resident of california i live in uh northern california about uh 50 minutes northeast of sacramento um and i've lived here the majority of my life so hunting blacktail has always been a a, a passion of mine and Mm -hmm. i'm planning on possibly moving out of state here sooner than later um but as long as I'm able, I will always come back and hunt and hunt blacktail. Yeah, it's just something that I'm passionate about, something I love that and the animals I love, and it just, just speaks volumes on hoping that uh, hoping that you know you're, we're still able to do it in the future. Yeah, no, absolutely, and that there's sustaining populations to be able to do it. You mm-hmm. know, and and to your point, not only does California have a predator problem, they do have you know a people problem too, mm-hmm. and. Uh, that's the unfortunate side of California is they don't manage the animals. I think they only try to manage the number of people that are hunting, which is yeah. anymore. Anyone can go buy a hunt license basically over the counter. You can go buy a tag. You can go out and, uh, you know, and, and that's good. I mean, there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. But California could be a really good state oh, man. if they managed it. You know, you think of some of these states that that just grow some of these incredible animals. And, and I think about elk. Elk always comes to mind for me because I know the populations of elk here. I know the bulls here. And I know that probably 75% of them will either die of predators or old age because there's just not enough tags, right? Yeah. Yep. When you're only giving out, you know, for like these units, you know, 12 to 14 tags in a whole year, I'm looking at bachelor groups of bulls that have 60 bulls in them, right? Yeah. And so... You know, you think about elk, that's one extreme, but, you know, on the, on the, on the deer side of it, you know, like I said, in some of these units, you know, it's 20, 30,000 tags are given out, yeah. you know, yeah. they, they don't meet those quotas, but, um, man, if you cut that in half per se and, and limited, started limiting some of the hunters, you would start to pro- maybe potentially see, you know, a little better trophy class in, in some of these areas. And then for the really premium units, right. I mean, those are, you know, 15, 18 points require you to draw them. Yeah. And then you go in there and some of these guys spend 18 years trying to draw, you know, the Goodale tag or the Round Valley tag and they go in there and they shoot a, you know, 150 class buck. It's yeah. like, okay, you just spent how long? Yeah. Half of your hunting life or, you know, a third of your hunting life trying to draw this. and Yeah. yeah. Versus going to Colorado, maybe on a few point unit and shooting a 160, 170 class buck or yeah. potential. So yeah. anyway, we kind of got on a tangent there, but yeah, I mean, blacktails, you know, to me are, it, it's very underrated. And a lot of people yeah. ask me like, you know, Hey, I want to come and hunt a blacktail. Like, what do I need to do? And, and it's like, well, you can literally go pay your $180 or whatever license fee, non-resident license fee or whatever it is, $150 non-resident license fee, pay your two, $300 tag, tag. fee, mm-hmm. buy your tag and do a little research and you can go, you can basically go blacktail hunting. Well, yeah, right? there's, a, there's a lot of public land, especially that, that, that east of I-5 corridor, the D-345. Um, they, hand, they hand out thousands and thousands of tags and there's, you know, there's a lot of El Dorado National Forest, Plumas, up towards Plumas National Forest. You yeah. have, uh, you know, there's a, there's a, 
D three four five is massive. That yeah. whole area goes all the way all the way to the base of the base of the Sierras, pretty yeah. much. So it's like you can you can do a whole lot if you want to, and it's just get on a logging road, follow the rules, and yeah. If you know what you're looking for, and you know how to, you know, just get out. If you spend time out, you're going to see deer. It just yeah. it is what it is. Yeah, you know? spending some time on Google Earth or mm-hmm. whatever, you know, hunting application you use to to try to do some, you know, aerial imagery. I think all that you put that, you know, in your corner. You look for places for water. Look for places for feed cover. Mm-hmm. North facing slopes where they're going to bed during the day. Yeah. You know, and I know a lot of guys that'll that'll drop a, you know more farther south here we're like d7 you know d8 more yeah. in the current area current, fresno yeah. out of fresno um and some of those units there and i mean guys will get you know ten thousand feet plus on yeah. the western side oh yeah and those bucks up there what i'm seeing they're shooting I, those to me are more on the mule deer mm-hmm. you know yeah. i would say strain and a lot of those bucks end up pushing over onto the eastern side when the when the when the weather hits hard but you know, there, there, there is, there's got to be a breakover point somewhere in tier point. I mean, yeah, who's to say that 40 foot stretch of asphalt on I-5 is the Mason Dixon line or not. But as you start to get up in elevation, I think there is a cutoff at some point where you don't see that, that population of blacktails. And then when you're hunting at, you know, 10,000 feet plus on the Western side, you know, you're really getting more into mule deer on that side. Yeah. It's uh, super, it's, it's really, it is really interesting. And it's almost like it's almost like the animals know that because I've hunted before up a, um, right on the D, D yeah, basically that D3, um, X7A, all that up there will, where I can go off the mountain and look down and see like Sierraville and Doyle and all that going towards Nevada. And I'm on a logging road that basically splits, uh, Columbia in quotation marks, right? The fingers and yeah. a Columbia blacktail zone versus the mule deer zone. And it's a, dirt road a, a logging road it's just yeah. a, just a dirt road that you can drive on but if you go off the knoll and come up over the hill and look down those blacktail will probably go to the top and then, i don't know if they're if their inside inside start boiling or something yeah. happens like yeah. an alarm goes off and they turn around and go right back but you'll never see them it's like an imaginary line like yeah you'll never the line yeah, yeah like they got an internal alarm you'll never yeah. see you'll never see them down in doyle you'll never see a blacktail down there yeah and it's, it doesn't matter what time of year it is and it's only you're you're not talking but miles it's not like it's they have to cross you know a huge vast area to get down there they just go down the slope and there they are yeah you'll never find them there well it's almost like you get up like tahoe national forest and Mm -hmm. there i mean there's some really good you know units the 180 units up around reno there's some great deer there but then you kind of get up into Truckee and that way next thing you know you're in california right yeah and a lot of guys get tags up there and hunt up there and Basically, you're hunting mule deer up there for the most part, right? Yeah, yeah, yep. Yeah. And you'll, uh, you know, you'll, you, but you'll see, you'll see that black, black, and they call them black tail because um, mule deer have traditionally a, a long tail with, uh, it'll be a white all the way down with a black tip. Black tail have a center strip that's probably what an inch and a half wide, and yeah. sometimes two runs inches all the way wide. the length of the tail. Yeah. Runs the whole length of the tail, and you'll see deer. I've seen deer where it's like it's halfway, and it's like okay, wait you're supposed to only have on the tip and you're supposed to only have it. So, and you'll see it like that. I've seen, I've seen real thin, real thin, like beady, um, blacktail tip lines with the, with that little spade shaped, Mm -hmm. uh, mule deer tip. So it's like, you know, that those deer are interbreeding. Yeah. It just, and maybe, maybe some, maybe someday those ones are, those are the ones that venture off and do go down that slope and end, and do end up in Sierraville or yeah. one of those places up there. Yeah. That, and you bring up a good point. I mean, 
when you start bordering Nevada, I mean, clearly the deer that are coming out of Nevada, I would say more on the western side, those are clearly mule deer, right? And, oh, and yeah. everything on the southern end of Nevada, the deserts, and of course, as you go farther north in Nevada, that's all that's all mule deer. But these premium hunts, like you said, Doyle, Bass Hill, some of these other ones, I mean, these are all areas that kind of are within close proximity of, you know, Nevada. And, and there's a migration that happens there, oh, yeah. right? Yep. And if you catch that migration right, um, you know, if you get some of those late season um, A tags or even the, the muzzle loader tags, there's some great deer that come out of there. Oh yeah, right. I've seen yeah. some giant deer. I mean, you've you've hunted a few of those units and shot some good deer yourself. Yeah, there's um those those that's a you know a cool thing about about that and obviously the bass hill what it's 30 tags i think the last one i drew was on the random i think i had six points or something which is kind of unheard of most people, yeah you know they're 13 plus points that's or whatever good, that's a good tag yeah um but yeah same thing those border the c zones the c zones are right around the outside of that and for people that don't, don't know c zones those are stretching usually c zones stretch a little bit farther east of the i5 than the d three four fives do they're kind of uh up kind of northeastern if you're looking at sacramento a map of sacramento they're kind of northeast above the d, d zones but some of those are they're blacktail yeah right they're considered blacktail now would they say like like for them to be pure blacktail no they're not they're they're definitely a hybrid because of the fact that they, the live, they, yeah. they, they live east of i5 so yeah. um and that's that maybe that's the next evolution of deer those are the ones that can go to the towards the coast more and they're the ones that can actually get out and go you might have a hybrid cross someday in in nevada that because the the there's been more you know mule deer genes that have bred with that blacktail hybrid and mm-hmm. now those deer can go out there yeah you know no, absolutely and you know I, I get my experience in the b zone kind of mendocino national forest area mm-hmm. kind of in that general area um you know, praised and known over the years as being, you know, an area that's, you know, shot some, some pretty good blacktails. But it's just interesting because um, the same thing. I mean, we were seven, 8,000 feet, you know, to some extent, mm-hmm. um, you know, climbing and climbing and climbing more. And then everything we kind of did was we started high and we would drop in on a lot of places, yeah. right? Yeah. And dropping in on deer, rarely were we really starting low and, and kind of pushing up. But everything we did is we started high. Uh, and we worked down, but um, we basically, you know, we kind of stayed in one, for the most part, general area location, um, and we were into bucks, you know, morning and evening. Were they the aha bucks we, we were, you know, dreaming yeah. of? Probably not, um, but but nonetheless, the, the change in activity, and it's different. So, like, our bucks here in the coastal start to really get into that heavy part of the rut, you know, probably mid to late September, you start to see it snap a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, um, of course, you know, late September, October, you know, you start to see, um, you know, the rut action, you know, you know, yeah. Monterey County, there's a late season Monterey County tag. That's, that's completely during the rut. Great tag to have for a, for an archer, but you know, we were hunting in November up there and, um, these bucks were pushing does and they were pushing them hard. And, uh, it's just interesting, you know, it's, it's like toolies here start to, you know, really get into their phase of the rut late July, early August. Whereas, you know, bulls in Montana, I mean, they're off by themselves at that point. They're growing they're they're still in velvet. Right. And here a month early, you know, these bulls are tearing each other apart, screaming, bugling, you know, yeah. so it's just interesting kind of the difference too, like even just from, our a zone you know yeah. rut activity versus like a b zone c zone rut activity it's 
a month to a month and a half difference. Oh, if if not, sometimes even even wider than that. You're looking at late October, November, and some of those. I, I've seen blacktail in you know blacktail where I'm at, Grass Valley, and that in December. In December, they're, they're still they're, snapping. They're they're rutting big time. Their necks are swollen. Yeah. Ch- their necks are half as wide as their bodies are long. You know? Yeah, exactly. They're, they're chasing. And for people that don't know that blacktail rut, when that thing kicks off, it's absolutely vicious. Those deer will legitly kill each other. Yeah. Um, they're, they're a small buck, but they're they're wiry. They're ornery. Yeah. You know they um, yeah they get yeah they they get they get nasty. But um, it's just interesting that you and the hunting the coastal zone in i like i can't imagine going where i hunt and hunting in july like it just like i don't even prep my stuff i'm i mean i'm you know that's one of the, one of the reasons like obviously besides the friendship hunting pigs and we were talking about it today on a hunt and just it's you know it's something to do in the meantime because deer season for us is that's the ramp that yeah. leads us into elk season and whatever so um for me i got a little bit more time you're three weeks out now and what's today literally today's june saturday june 20th yeah three weeks for you season opens exactly for me it's august 19th so i got like another after the after yours opens i have another month yeah and the deer that i'm hunting they're not even remotely thinking about rutting or doing anything in august or september yeah they're still growing probably right i mean they're still they're still probably rounded out on most of their antlers and bachelored up in september yeah yeah and then so so talk a little bit about your why don't we talk a little bit about your a zone the transition between a zone um archery which yeah, is what great. you're going into now into uh the, the general the, season the general season rifle yeah no that's great um so like right now i'll kind of walk through transition like from now into archery into rifle season right now these deer um for the most part are growing a little bit they're going to be rounded on their tips um they've probably still got a few inches of growth left on them but a lot of them right now are going to be pretty well what they're going to have right and yeah. they're going to start stripping their velvet um typically you know some of them will be stripped by the start of archery season some of them shot a buck a few years ago and it was a late part of the year and he was still in velvet right mm-hmm. buddy of mine shot a three by three the last weekend of archery season and he was still in full velvet so you know from that perspective they grow differently they start differently some of them start earlier you know so but from now until like the next three weeks um you can literally, like I said, um, you can get, you can drive next to them and stop, take a picture of them. They'll sit there and look at you, keep feeding. I mean, they're a different creature. When the light switch goes on and they start sensing pressure, right? Typically after the first weekend, the first weekend, you still have a pretty good opportunity to, to get close and, and work your way in on, on a good buck. But the one thing about these bucks here, when they're in velvet, they don't like being in areas of dense vegetation because the velvet rubs on their antlers and it hurts, right? There's a lot of blood there. Um, so it's very vascular. So they don't like being in that thick stuff. Mm-hmm. But as they start to transform during that archery season where, you know, you may have hunted a buck one week and then you go back and you see this buck again and he's stripped, um, he's a completely different deer, yep. right? Yep. He will go into that chaparral, sage, chemise and disappear and have no problem going through it. Whereas, you know, two weeks before in velvet, he probably would have went around it or he would have done something completely different. So their behavior changes as they start to rub their velvet. And as they rub their velvet through the archery season, they do become much more nocturnal. Mm-hmm. Um, they're very active at night in the evenings. Um, and, uh, you know, and, 
early morning, late evening, I mean, there is some activity. Again, I, I fall back to that mid part of the day where that lull where everyone's kind of back at camp and kicking their feet up. And again, I've had more action in the middle part of the day than I do morning and evening. But, um, you know, when your season's starting to kick up late August, we're starting to basically, you know, throttle down on archery season right yeah, yeah. because here coming uh, like that first or second weekend of september is the is the general rifle season and then what happens there is is again it's the, it's it's the mass chaos right yeah. it, it's opening day orange army and uh it, it's the you know it's the you know spike by fork on one side mm-hmm. that just gets hammered everywhere yeah. it's the same buck everyone was passing in archery season gets hammered on the first day of general season and uh that's part of the concern here is is those bucks just never get an opportunity right and the ones that make it through that have some good genetics you know those bucks are hard to kill and there's a reason for that right yeah this isn't their first rodeo um they were born but not yesterday yeah exactly (laughs) they were born on a friday but it wasn't yesterday or something like that but um so yeah it's an it's an interesting dynamic these deer i mean again like right now that it's just so fun to go out and phone scope them and get 100 yards from them Mm -hmm. and you know even if you're wind screwy they may maybe windy and walk down the bridge a little bit and just keep feeding but um once they strip their velvet that to me is always the 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 time where you know these deer if you haven't killed a buck by then um your odds significantly go down and then you're basically you talk about you're putting all your chips in you i mean you're it's so difficult once they've stripped and they're hard horned at that point because they do they turn into the you know the, the ghost of the coast and uh they go nocturnal and, and, uh, they're just tough to kill. Yeah. And, um, so yeah. And then, like I say, and then as you, there's another phase. So then you go through kind of the general rifle season and then you've got, um, you know, these late archery season tags that come yeah. in that allow you to hunt a lot of the deer during the rut, um, give you a great opportunity, but you're hunting them with a bow and there's, there's never, um, you know, there's no guarantees hunting yeah. with a bow, right? Yeah. Um, let alone hunting a blacktail with a bow. Yeah. So the, the target's even smaller. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so and then there's some there's some late muzzleloader tags that come into play in like december here um mm-hmm. you can shoot like either sex m1a tag but um yeah they're uh they're a completely it's amazing just the transformation you know and velvet hate the thick stuff rub velvet hard horn love the thick stuff love the thick stuff and then the rut you know they basically like any other animal you know yeah so and so so if you take that time frame and then right so if we're saying that stuff on the west side of I-5, so if you, you're hunting Columbia Blacktail, where I'm hunting, I'm hunting the same thing, right, as far as the, the books go, right? I'm hunting the same western side of I-5. Um, and we know that there's, when we talked about it, we know that there's um, mule deer crosses up there, especially in the Trinities, and, you know, how, the, how they're, they're close relation to dumping over the other side and getting into Modoc County and all that mm-hmm. way over there. But um, in July when so let's just let's backtrack so when you say like august like towards it like in august you, your deer out here are already they're already shed they're they're they're, they're strip velvet they're all the van, all the velvet's gone they're, yeah. they're going in hard horn when i start those deer will, are still you can go back up and get in the same general vicinity and see that see that buck that was in velvet a week before if you can find them because it's we all know it's pretty hard to pattern blacktail they just do their yeah, own thing absolutely um You'll see that same buck, and he might put on. He might have put on two inches, and you're like, and he's still in velvet. So through, mine's the third weekend, usually third weekend in August, 
and it runs into it runs into September. You know, middle middle portion of September. Then they give they give them break, and then then general season September twenty fifth, twenty fourth, someone there is when mm-hmm. when the rifle season starts. Um, I've seen deer still in velvet up there going into rifle season. So imagine your deer here having velvet on them in September. It's like, it's not happening. No, it's not going to happen unless they're like a stag or a, you know, cactus buck or something in which yeah. have seen some of those, but yeah, generally speaking, they're, they're rubbed and they're a completely different animal. Same, same deer. We're on the same deer, Yeah, but it, it's totally different. And it's based on same date, right? Yeah. You're hunting them in August and full velvet. Mm-hmm. I'm hunting them in August with my bow and they're completely stripped. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it's the same deer species, same, same everything. The only difference is climate climate changes the swing and that's probably part of it mm-hmm. and then the, the elevation changes yeah right um you know and some of these some of these mountains these these deer over here they can go from the from the valley up and over you know up and over some of santa cruz mountains so you know that's that's quite a quite a change but it's not like a hey i'm living at seven thousand feet and i i'm, yeah. I'm in a summer at nine thousand feet correct you know so it's yeah i'll hunt i'll hunt um blacktails in granite like in granite with few trees around and that's you know that's like your colorado and i'll hunt them in like you know open open like meadow areas mm-hmm. but they do the same thing they'll come out and they'll check look around they'll skirt the timber the, they're not stupid those deer are not stupid you know yeah. just yeah you, you know you get into them like that and it's you 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 know you start hunting those deer and down here and then that huge swing happens and you see the same thing up there it just different times the same deer yeah right no it's it's fascinating and, and one cool thing about california is if you want to hunt a zone and b zone and you don't draw a tag you can do that right you can most people don't know that but you can put two, two deer tags in your pocket in california right yeah. you can get an ao tag mm-hmm. where you can archery hunt only the units that are open during that time during archery season and you can buy a b zone tag yeah. or an a zone tag yeah. or a d whatever tag right any of the unrestricted units so that's one cool thing about California and, and uh, you know, so it gives you those options. If you want to come down and hunt the coastal blacktails and, you know, sweat your, you know, what's off, you can do that yeah. in July. Right. Yeah. And then if you want to go up and, and uh, any of the B zones, right. Yeah. And, and hunt them, you can do that in, in, uh, in August and, and still have, you know, the ability to do that. So it, that is, I will say that that's, that's one pretty cool thing about the state is they yeah. allow you that ability to do that. And, and uh, the tags are pretty flexible as far as like what you can, what you can get away with, with the tag. Yeah. It's not like it's, Hey, it's a three week period and you're done. It's yep. yeah. I can go, I can go, I can go. You can hunt, hunt the archery season if yep. you want. Yep. And then you can come back in the general and hunt all you want, you know, then as well. And um, so, yeah. And, and by no means, and you know, we say, yeah, you can get two deer tags. There is no slam dunk no. blacktail hunt in this nope. state. I'll tell you, you look at the harvest statistics in California requires you every year to, to provide harvest requirements. If you don't, you got to pay a $25 extortion fee next year on your next year tag. But yep. um, they really want to know. They, I mean, and part of that is, is, you know, they want to know the numbers. They want to know um, how many deer were harvested, which gives them those that information in the digest to show people like, hey, if you want to draw this tag last year, there was only four bucks that were shot in this unit out of the, let's say 25 tags. And of the four, there was three fork and horns and one three point, no yeah. four points or nothing greater than that. So yeah. that could give you an idea. Well, maybe the class of buck here isn't what I thought it was, or maybe, yeah. 
you know, it was a rough year. Maybe it was a bad year moisture wise or who knows what, right? There's a lot of things, but knowing that percentage is always good to know. And, and I'll tell you, it's in the teens. It's in the low teens. People oh, that yeah. kill, pe- people that kill, you know, blacktails in a zone. I mean, it's, it's in the teens percentage, mm-hmm. right? It's, mm-hmm. it's not 40, 50% of the no. population going out and killing a deer. Blacktail hunting is, if you could, if you could have in the Webster dictionary, one word for blacktail hunting i would probably say it's it's going to be grind it's going to be a grind you're going to have to go out day in and day out like you do it here you know whether it's taking you know your day trips you know i i put everything on my back and i go back in for like a week but it's you know you the days are long you're hunting all day long you're you know you're glassing you're you're up on vantage points you get down in these these bowls and you, you you might get close to animals and you don't because they're skittish and yeah. you're getting up early again and you're doing it again and again and again and it wears on you man it wears on you and it, you it, it's one of those things obviously right you you can't it's it's like it goes back and you say yeah you, you, you can't kill something if you're sitting in camp right you, mm-hmm. you have to get out and put miles you you got to mm-hmm. get out you got to you know whether it's going out every day to do the same thing yep. in the same locale or you're someplace else you're going to get into them the, yeah. more, the more you're out but you can't replace time in the field and i always say yeah. that you know people are like man I, you, you you always post a lot of pictures and blah. i'm like yeah i spend probably 150 days out in the field of that's hunting probably not all of those days but i spend probably you know 30 to 40 days easy a year just mm-hmm. going out out of a hunting season just driving and looking yeah. right taking photos dropping pins you know mm-hmm. looking at areas where they might feed maybe where they transition during the day or in the mornings from water to feed to bedding like i'm looking at all that stuff trying to figure out you know where are these bucks going to be and if i see a buck and i have a general idea where he's going to be typically you know to your point they're not easy to pattern Mm -hmm. but what i will say is if there is a buck in a certain area that is not getting pressured likes the feed has water in that area Mm -hmm. there's a high probability you're going to have an opportunity at some point yeah to get on that buck right so so let's uh, let's talk real quick if you're let's talk about your your location where you physically live in relationship to where you go hunt what's what's that look like yeah so I live in Paso Robles, central coast of California. Um, you know, elevation here is 400 feet or something, 500 feet. I don't even know. We're 20 minutes from the ocean. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I could literally drive 15 minutes mm-hmm. and be blacktail hunting. Yeah. Right? I could, I could literally drive 15 minutes west of town and be blacktail hunting. Um, I could drive an hour um, west and be almost on the other side of the coastal range and be blacktail hunting. Mm-hmm. And a lot of guys, what they'll do is they'll actually come up Highway One um, and they'll park somewhere off of you know one of the one of the parking lots or parks on Highway One and shoot up you know the west side of the of the Santa Cruz Mountains mm-hmm. or the Los Padres Forest there. Um, and they'll hunt the coastal bucks that literally live on the front shelf. I mean, you're you're looking down and you see the Pacific Ocean, Ocean yeah. right? Yeah. Um, but then when you pop over on the other side, that's where you see that huge temperature swing, mm-hmm. right? Um, and and you can see a thirty to forty degree temperature swing that way. Um, but yeah, I mean, in any direction where I live here, I could be. I mean, I have blacktail deer that come in my backyard, yep. but yep. Um, you know, but. Typically, um, within 30 minutes to an hour mm-hmm. is where I'll be. And to your point, like, yeah, I, I, I don't have to put on a pack yep. and go 
and go backcountry because typically what I'll do is I'll go camp on a weekend somewhere where I hunt, but I'll camp, I'll hunt out of my camp, right? Yeah. Just so I don't have to drive an hour each way every day. But, um, you know, I do weekend bonsai runs, go mm-hmm. out and put in, you know, and then during the week I might get out a night or two during the week, but it's typically I'm fully vested on my weekends. Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, it's getting light here at, you know, you know, five, 15 in the morning yeah. so you're up at you know three forty-five, four o'clock you're getting to your spot you want to be at you know right when when the light's coming up uh and uh, or at least the gray light and then um yeah you're talk about a grind man nine there's, o'clock at night there's right? days exactly there's days that i've been out all day long um maybe had a 20 ounce bottle of water in my and a lot of times i hunt without a pack i just hunt with my bow yeah because i'm going to park my truck somewhere and i'm going to hunt probably within a few miles of my truck if i get a buck down i'm going to go back to my truck get my gear and go back in so i'm hunting with very limited gear Mm -hmm. i want to be able to be very mobile if i got to run up a hill i want to be able to do that yeah um so um so that that's that's really the breakdown for me and like i said i i have all the gear i need but i typically am not weighed down with a pack um you know i don't have a lot of excess gear what you see on me now is typically you you know what i hunt in with my bow in my hand and um like i said i'll throw usually a small water bottle on one side just to have water because it'll get hot but i've been out all day you know and i've been sitting on a i've sat on a buck for six hours waiting for him to get up just to get the wind right or you know getting him to feed to where you can get in and actually make a play on him and uh it's tough because i mean you're literally trying to find a shade spot and cut the weather you know maybe 10 degrees in a shade spot somewhere yeah and just sit there all day hunker down under glass and watch at him you know that's pretty common for me a way to hunt for me i don't i don't get out of the truck and just start stomping through yeah. the forest right i get to certain points i want to be at and I will have my binoculars, if I do have my pack, on my tripod, and I'll be glassing, mm-hmm. glassing, glassing, glassing. If I find a buck I want, then I'm going to basically figure out where I think he's going, where he wants to go. Is he with other bucks? Is he with those? Is he by himself? If he's by himself, it's a slam dunk, yeah. right? If he's got three or four other bucks with him, you know, that's that's eight eyes. That's four sets of eyes. It's tough to bust them. Yeah. And and uh, and the thing I find is, is deer are so smart. They're like elk. When they go and they finally get to their bedding spot, there's a buck bedded here looking out this way. Yep. There's a buck bedded back here looking back this way. Mm-hmm. There's a doe right here looking back this way. So, you know, they don't just all bed on one side looking one way. Yeah. They strategically bed to know if there's a predator because mm-hmm. they live their life continually running from predators they live their lives you know at night as they drink water is a mountain lion going to latch onto my neck right so they're always super cautious here yeah so talking about skittish skittish deer right skittish blacktail i mean talk about just deer in general that are skittish right they're all deer all deer are skittish yeah blacktail and i think it's because of the 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 evolution in the fact that the predation rates are so high that they're 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 breeding they're they're breeding deer that are more cautious and more Absolutely. skittish year after year after year. So that gene is getting passed on, and pretty soon, I mean, these blacktail are hard to hunt now. It's going to be even worse. So, yeah, they're super skittish, and I, to me, that's like I don't know. That just makes it fun. Like mm-hmm. a lot of people are like, you know, I just sit on a blind over water and wait for a buck to come in and drink water. I'm like, well, eventually they got to drink water. I don't have patience to do that. Yeah, and that's not how I choose to hunt. I think it's great for someone that wants to do that, you know, good for them. For me, I want to see a buck that I want to go after and I want to be on my feet, stalking that thing, trying to get as close as I can, trying to put an arrow in its heart. Like that's, 
that to me is the essence of archery blacktail hunting. You yeah. know, I wouldn't want to do it any other way. Yeah. But. And, to, and then to the other side of the spectrum, so it took me roughly to get down here from my house is about, and that's pretty much going south from my house. It's slightly southwest from my house, right? Mm-hmm. About four and a half hours is what it take for me from yeah. North Auburn, Nevada, you know, Nevada City, Grass Valley area to get down here. And then I get in my truck from my house and I drive three and a half hours, four hours north and then get on, get on logging roads. And then from there, find out where I'm going to, what basin I want to go. And then I put a backpack on my back and then I go in six or seven, sometimes nine miles Mm -hmm. and set up camp. And then I, I, I all spike hunt from that camp with loose gear on my back every day, doing roughly the same thing that you're doing um, day to day out of your truck, but I do it from a camp. So I drop my gear. I'll go in. If I want to go for a week, it's I'll, I'll take about 50, 60 pounds. Um, and some guys go lighter than that. Like I, I have some creature, you know, some creature comforts that that are important, right? Yeah. Things that are important to me. You're willing to take that extra 10 pounds in and yeah. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a music guy. Like I love listening to music. So I have a little solar panel, little tiny, you know, oh. doesn't weigh much, but it adds up. Yeah, and I'll take stuff like that with me, and I can charge my batteries off of it. Um, I charge my uh, in reach off it because I am so far back. I have a family, so I want to make Absolutely. sure that I'm, I'm able to get in contact. Um, I go, you know, I'm six seven miles away from the truck. So, in reality, I mean, I'm in in a car. If I were to keep driving instead of parking it, I mean, I would the time frame I would be hunting in Oregon, right? That's, that's how far I would go in, yeah. in time-wise for me to get to what I would consider like what I, the blacktail that I like to hunt. Um, now I can, I have them in my backyard in Grass Valley and Auburn right in there. Um, I can shoot out and go hunt the D345. I just like the um, that subalpine, high high timber, high country mm-hmm. um, blacktail experience. That, you know, that's yeah. what I, and I, it's same thing. It's a, it's a grind day in and day out. Yeah. You know, same thing, you're, you're hunting our days aren't as longer because obviously the, the, the daylight hours are getting shorter. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it's, it's kind of conversely, it's the, the ener- energy expenditure, just getting yourself in there wears yeah. you down for one day that, you know, the first day, you know, you're kind of tore up and shot, but, um, yeah. you know, you, but it's the same thing. It's glassing You're you know, you're taking in, taking in all your gear with you. You're, yeah. um, you know, for like me, I have to have, you know, I have a water bladder and, um, stuff like that on my back because in the event that something stupid happens, I'm too far from my truck to make it back to my truck. So I have to have all the essentials in the event of emergency back there to, yeah. you know, so, but yeah, it's, it's just interesting, the different dynamics in your style of hunting and my style of hunting, but we're hunting the exact same species of deer. Yeah, now it is. And like I said, I typically, I mean, I could get home from work at five thirty, throw my bow in the truck, drive 30 minutes by six I'm you know, sitting on a bluff, you know, glassing, mm-hmm. finding a deer and hunting until nine o'clock that night. Yeah. 30 yeah. minutes, I'm home, shower, I'm in bed at 10, I'm up at four the next morning going to work. Like, that's realistic for me here. Whereas, yeah. um, you know, getting to, you know, the high, you know, the more sub-high alpine type stuff, I mean, that would be a weekend, you know, extended Thursday to Monday trip for me to go do oh, yeah, that, yeah. right? Yeah, I mean, sure. and, and uh, like when I had that uh, late season archery tag, I mean, 
it was like a it was like a nine hour drive. It was just ridiculous, yep. right? Yep. From here to get up there. So you know, those were um, you know, I and I hunted I hunted twelve of the fourteen days of that season. You yep. know, um, for that for that hunt. But yeah, it's just it's convenience. It's it's location, right? It's proximity. To your point, you know, you could hunt your your D zones if you wanted to, but your experience you want to take in is that you know higher elevation, typically bigger class, you know, aged deer yep. up in those areas, uh, you know, versus um, you know, being able to hunt them out of your backyard. And that, that's the cool thing about it. Everyone's experience is different. Yeah. Everyone wants to experience it differently. You know, some people don't mind 20 other people driving around in a truck with orange on, you know, that's not my style. That's not what yeah. I want. Like most of the, a lot of the bucks I've killed, I've killed them with my bow in, in the general rifle season. You yeah. know, it's yeah. like, I don't, I just don't choose to rifle hunt, but it, to me, it's just a challenge. It's fun. And, um, you know, and I, I've hunted mule deer, I've hunted tons of whitetail, I've got them in the house here. I've hunted um, Sika blacktail, um, you know, Columbia. And, and uh, there's just, I mean, to me, out of the, all the species, I mean, there's nothing more of a grind than hunting these 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 coastal gray ghosts man i mean it's i tell you you know i mean chuck adams always said you know once you've once you shire columbia blacktail the rest of the 29 become pretty simple right and chuck is a guy that i looked up to i've read a lot of his books you know he was a big influence for me getting into bow hunting and you know i mean he was the guy that got dropped off on kodiak island left his boots on the plane had a pair of muck boots and the next 10 days proceeded to shoot two of the largest Sitka blacktails in the world that still stand today. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, and he's doing this traditional equipment. So, you know, it, when he says that about blacktails, yeah. you know, yeah. and, and you look at the list of stuff that he's done, um, that's saying something, you and know, you, and you look to, you know, he's not an outside guy looking in. I mean, he grew up not too far from, from where I'm at Deer Creek, Deer yeah. Creek out of Chico, California. And he, um, a lot of his stuff is he'll tell you, when, you know, how hard it was. And that's, that's like brushy, oh, real yeah. brushy stuff up there. That Deer brutal. Creek area, that's basically, that's where the last Native American supposedly came down, issue that came down out of that, that Red Bluff, that Red Bluff Chico area yeah. came down. It's, you know, it's, it's rough. It's brutal. It's, I mean, those blacktail in there, are, you know, those blacktail in there, are, I mean, they, whole different creature, whole, man, whole, whole different creature. Yeah. But yeah, he said, if he legitly said, came out and said, if you can consistently kill a black-tailed buck in its own habitat on public land with a bow and arrow, you can hunt any species of animal on earth that you want. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. It's so that, I mean, that speaks, and it goes back, it speaks volumes. It does. Yeah. It speaks volumes about. For anyone know. that's not, I mean, if you're living under a rock is one thing, but anyone that knows, Chuck Adams knows, he's probably one of the most prolific, I mean, Pope and Young Hall of Fame. I mean, the guy's, you know, I mean, just an idol in, in our industry. And and he's such a humble guy, too. Yeah. I mean, he's the most humble guy. And he will never tell you how big any of his animals are. But, I mean, he shot world-class animals yeah. all over the world, you know. And yeah. for him to say that, um, you know, and, and it's true. I mean, you know, think of all the stuff we've hunted. And then I come right back to, you know, I say my home ground here now where I've, I've set my roots for the last, you know, 16, 17 years. Um I look so look forward to deer season. And then there's some times where I'm just, I'm so frustrated (laughs) because I'm chasing this buck or I've got this buck. And that was a couple of years ago. I was on a three point that, I mean, a beautiful three by three. I mean, just unbelievable buck chased him from velvet, watched him in velvet, chased him in the archery season, chased him in the general rifle season with my bow. And just, I could never get him killed. And it was so tough. And yeah. one time in the whole season, I got within 40 yards of him yeah. and I didn't even know he was there. And when I turned, he was sitting there looking at me, saw his big, you know, black, white hind. And he was sitting there. And as I went to draw, gone. Later. You know, and yeah. 
had had no idea. You smoke. Know? Yep. Smoke. Smoke and yeah. mirrors. Yeah. So. And for people that it's hum- uh, it can it, be humbling. Yeah, for people that that don't know or don't haven't experienced blacktail or haven't Googled it or looked it up for any listeners that are you know not out west or anything like that, it's um, you know their antlers are branched just like a just like a mule deer. They don't you know they don't uh, come off of one main beam like a white tailed deer do. So when Lucas is talking about a three by three, he's talking about basically one antler coming out and then branched on branched on each side so it's at, correct at three points three points on one side three points on the other side and then in california we don't really count eye guards yeah so correct um versus like your white tails and yeah white tail where you're counting yeah. counting eye guards and, yep. yeah tines or whatever they yeah. call them yeah yeah and it, it, it it's in, it's interesting that you know the like i where i go i see a lot of three by threes right like i'll pass sometimes pass three by threes and i'm looking for that fourth and, um, but then there's a sacrifice, like we were talking about the whole gene thing, like everyone, everyone that hunts Northern California, especially Northern Mendocino, Trinity, they know that there's, there's a crab issue. There's a, a solid four on one side, just gorgeous. And then they'll turn and there'll be a, a, a deep fork on one side and then a little, crab, a little yeah. tiny crab on the back. It's usually on the back, a little tiny crab on the back. And you're like, Oh man. Yeah. But it, it's still, it's still amazing. I mean, it's still, like I said, for me, it's, it's just, it's, a, it's, the hunt it's it's the process of the experience right yeah to me it's, like, it's yeah it's the experience but i call it a process it's just a, a a process from when you start picking up your bow again to dialing yourself in to getting in shape to the gear you select to putting it on your back to so for me that that's in and i like i said i could do the i could do the drive from my house and go into d345 and there's stellar bucks in there like we talked about these are guys yeah. that shoot 160 class 170 yeah. class bucks that Mon- come out of d5 d4 d3 yeah. monster monster pope and young bucks that you know that you're like dude these these things are astronomical but unfortunately for them they have the mule deer gene because they're on the east side so they don't really Correct. count count as uh yeah. as columbia where you and i right with pope and young we, and for let's just real quick pope and young it's the 120 archery archery only 125 inches or better mm-hmm. versus boone and crockett you're talking rifles and 170 170 points or better i think yeah, yeah. i'm not sure yeah, i think it's i think it's 50, 170 think yeah it's something 170. like that so yeah and they're and they're predicting the next the next pope and young blacktail to come out of that northern california area up uh, up in there um just the the genes are there because of the fact that they allow that they allow that muley cross because we're on the the west side of five so yeah but there are some there are some tankers out here and it's interesting i had a i have a close family friend that's been i mean he's um, done taxidermy for a long time lives uh basically kind of just just do uh do east of Sacramento. He's like, like south just a bit. He's out there in the, the Dixon Wilton area. Um, and he's done taxidermy for a long time, a uh, long family friend. And when I first got into hunting, um, I went over to his house and him and I were talking. My dad's like, hey, go, you know, go talk to Andy. And he's really knowledgeable. And I go in his garage and he's got a, a wire, probably a, I don't know, probably a 15, 20 gauge heavy duty wire, like doubled up running the length of his big barn shed. And I look up and it's just rack after rack after rack turned upside down. And you're looking at it and there's, it's so interesting because he's like every year he, if he goes out hunting, he puts, he puts deer that were shot on the West side of five on one side and deer that are shot on the East side of I five on the one side. And you look at him over the years, not only has the size of antlers, gotten smaller but when you go back and look at the two from when he first started doing it they're almost the exact same size 
Yeah. It's pretty interesting. Like there's, yeah. there's they, you might not have the body size, right? But the nutrition, the nutrition for, for what they're eating out here in the A zone, it's all, it's all there, right? It just like we were talking about it. That just goes to talk about our, our environment, the environmental swings for these deer, mm-hmm. your deer out here in the A zone can't handle what my beer, my B zone deer yeah. can handle. It just, yeah. The yeah, I mean, it is. It's different. Ha- I mean, they feed on different stuff. You mm-hmm. know, the bucks love the buck brush up in the high. Oh. You know, I mean, they're, you see that stuff. You see the little leaves. But here, I mean, they're eating wild oats. You know, if they can get into barley fields. I mean, that's, that's you know, I mean, that's what they're eating. Acorns, right, yeah. that, that yeah. come out of oak trees. I mean, that's what these deer feed on. That's what they live on here, yeah. right? And your hope is here is that you get a good moisture year and the moisture comes at the right time where we get good growth, mm-hmm. good grass, and, and, and at that same time as they're dropping their antlers they're able to start regrowth again and and what i'm seeing this year is one of those years where we got we didn't get a lot of rain but we got it at the right time yeah right and yeah. it was very timely and uh seeing some really really good um quality mature deer this year um yeah. which is a good sign you know and it, yeah. it it's it's concerning um you know from the fact that you know are predators going to get some of these animals? Are they going to die of old age? I mean, yeah. I mean, that's always a concern. That's a they're a wild animal, yeah, right? They yeah. live in the wild. But um, I've also been here where years where we've had drought, where if you didn't shoot a fork and horn, a 14, 15 inch, that may be the best buck you see all oh, year, yeah. Yeah. right? And so it, it's always it's always a trade off here. Um, and I think with any hunting, there's always a trade-off, right? Yeah, yeah. Where is it ever perfect, right? Yeah. You can hunt yours and your elevation, but you need to be in shape, to your point. Yeah. You got to take some time to do it. You're not going to drive 30 minutes and go do this unless yeah. you live in that area. You know, whereas here, the trade-off is, is yeah, I mean, there's deer and there's public land, but, you know, it's going to be 105 degrees, yeah, you know, yep, yep. and uh, your window of time to, to really um, strike is, is very limited, you know, yeah. unless you literally step on one. So it's, it is, it, it, all of that makes it for the experience and I think why we both love it so much because although it's the same species animal, like you said, our experiences are almost completely night and day mm-hmm. yeah. in our approach and our tactics our yeah. strategy, how we do it. It's, it's different, but yeah, which is cool. Yeah. To- yeah. Totally cool. Um, same, same concept. Obviously you love, you love hunting. You're passionate about it. So am I, um, we love blacktail. Um, and it just, the whole, the whole idea of hunting blacktail is great. Um, one thing that we didn't touch on and I just thought of when we were talking about it with the driving distance and stuff like that, your deer out here don't migrate Correct. for the most part. They, they have, they find a, uh, they find a, uh, hidey hole or a general area where, like you said, that, that they can get water and, yep. and, and not have to move too much. And probably it, it, that's probably great because of the fact that why would you want to move a whole lot when it's 105 degrees outside? Mm-hmm. And then it never gets cold enough for snows here to push them yep. into certain areas. I mean, it, it's not uncommon to see the same deer, the same elk and is another yeah. example Whereas every year. where I'm hunting, right, you, they're, they're migratory. They find migration routes and they'll go from where they're at in their high, high timber country down. They'll be eating, you know, sagebrush and bitterbrush and everything else all the way down to eating acorns in people's backyard. Yeah. Those blacktail that I hunt up there in Northern California, they probably, I bet you some of those deer probably traveled 25 miles to get out of their winter yeah. range and get down into, and then turn around and ride back up again yep. and they go. Like I'm talking a round trip, right? You're yep. 15, maybe 15 miles down, 15 miles back in. Correct. Um, yeah. They, zero and, migration here. Yeah. Imagine, I mean, imagine doing that in a hundred. The migration could be degrees. some of these bucks might push over, 
you know, the Western front mm-hmm. over onto the front side of like, you know, the, the, um, the coastal mountains here. Right. Yeah. I mean, but that's not even a migration, right? Yeah. I mean, that's just, that's a few mile poke for them to do, but yeah, I've seen, I've seen elk year after year in certain places where it's the same bull every year. Right. Yeah. And yeah. to my point, they'll grow to be 15, 16 years old. Climate's not harsh, yep. right? Weather gets warm in the summer, but there's nothing affecting them. They'll never get killed because there's not enough tags and, yeah. you know, you'll stumble across a, you know, 300 inch deadhead somewhere that, you know, state of California could have, you know, easily conserved and, and let a hunter get after. And that's a whole other topic and rant <laughs> you, discussion. You, you mean put, put some money in, put some money back into the economy? No, why and, would you want yeah, to do that? And open up parks for people to take their kids to? And stuff? No, 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 that's, no, we want to get, we want to give you less tags. <laughs> and then the ranchers get more mad because they're tearing up their fences and eating their crop. And that's our next podcast is the California, oh my gosh. California rabbit hole. <laughs> Once you start going down it, you're not going to come out, come back out of it. Yeah, we thought about doing a rant one, but <laughs> I probably wouldn't be able to post it because it <laughs> it may not be good. But well, dude, we've been going for a while here. It's I think this was this was good to kind of just talk through our contrasts mm-hmm. and both our passion for blacktail hunting, but how different it is, yeah. you know, between both locations and. Um, season's approaching and i'm always excited when i know you're going to be going like okay what's he going to turn up you yeah, know yeah. and yeah. people always hit me up hey what bucks you seeing are you seeing any bucks and i'm pretty private when it comes to deer like i don't i mean i've got a laundry list of pictures on my phone of bucks so you've yeah. seen some of them but yeah. i i keep those to me but um i'm you know i'm just going out trying to find the deer that excites me right yeah. and, and yeah. i may go out and i may see five bucks a day and if they're all small forks they just don't excite me i'm not going to shoot one you yeah. know but yeah. I'm usually looking for a certain deer and that's what makes it fun is if you see a deer early, you get on them, you know, in the velvet and the archery season, you don't get them killed. Maybe you see them in the later part of the year when he's rubbed. I mean, it's just fun that, you know, that pursuit, that chase mm-hmm. for one animal, you yeah. know, it almost like say that you're that three point, it, it just about drove me into the ground, but, uh, and, it was and, fun doing it. And, and going and just speaking real quick onto that, if you, you know, if, if there's one thing that, that Lucas and I could could express upon if you're planning on coming out here um and it, it's a bummer to say but don't set your standards high i brought and i'm sure you probably know about it i brought i brought friends out to hunt that are out of state to come hunt blacktail and um that it goes it it talks about what we were talking about earlier like with the gun guys and if you're coming out and this is your first time and, and, and you want and you have an opportunity to take a legal legal california blacktail do it because you might come out five times in that first time. Not you even came, see a legal buck, yeah, right? That first time you came out, that was your last hurrah. You're not gonna. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's it goes back. It's it's a grind. It's 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 a grind every single year. But it's a grind that you and I both you know look forward to doing and look forward to talking about. Like, it's how many sickness, times do I usually man. call you in July to ask you, hey, did you see any bucks? It's how, a sickness. It's it's yeah. an illness. Yeah, and you and you're seeing bucks like the bucks that I'm going after. I may have seen the, seen their brother or cousin last year. I I'm scouting, right? I, yeah, I, I won't even see you. Them. Have to go in and then find what you want, <laughs> and then go, I mean, yeah, it's just totally different tactic, it's right? Way different, yep. Yeah. yeah, but but to each his own, and um, that's the cool thing about California blacktail, right? California yeah. blacktail hunting is it the opportunities are? I mean, they're massive. The the amount of area you can travel, the the deer you can hunt, the deer you can see, the the seasons that you can hunt them, the length that yep. you can hunt them for, absolutely. Um, hunt the same deer in velvet and go back and hunt the same deer in hardhorn if you want and brace the challenges of chasing the 
embrace why, why, the suck, right? That legit, legitly the hashtag embrace the suck that I think I think they were talking about black devil before they were talking yeah. about anything else. And when it happens and you walk up on one that's yeah. laying there, it is an incredible feeling. Yeah. You think about the time, the energy you put into it, the fuel to do it. I mean, everything that goes yep. into that. Yeah. I mean, this isn't, you know, you have a lot invested yeah. when you do these hunts and uh and uh, when you walk up to one that's laying on the ground, it, it's 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 a pretty incredible feeling yeah. knowing that you've, again, probably taken one of the, in my opinion, one of the toughest animals mm-hmm. in the West to to try to put an arrow in. There's no question. Yeah, and they're and they're such cool animals. You you, you look at their face and stuff. They're you know their their face, their snout. They got a long long nose, skinny face. They don't have that jaw structure of a muley. They don't yeah. have the big wide neck, but they will get it during the rut. And they have those big, goofy. They're, they're almost like a like a mule mm-hmm. of, of of the deer species. They have big old big ears, old ears yeah. big old ears. They look goofy, and they're just they're they're just totally majestic in their own way. They're yeah. they're just. I mean, there's something literally like we were talking about it. Like I, I don't know what I would do if I couldn't go blacktail hunting. Like I I absolutely love elk hunting, and that's a whole different thing mm-hmm. that we're talking about. Me but too. Dude, Huge passion. Yeah, but the blacktail thing is there's something super cool yeah. about it. Maybe it just. I don't know. I don't know. For me, I think to have it in your backyard and to be able to, you know, have that at your disposal to go do that to me is what's like so awesome about it. Like yeah. most people just can't go do that type of hunt. Right. And and here I can, like I say, literally drive out, you know, 15, 20 minutes and be blacktail hunting. And, and, um, you know, and that's the part that's fun. I think, you know, it's, it's there, it's a renewable resource, mm-hmm. right? Hunters are conservationists. Hunting is conservation. Yep. And I think that's a huge part of, of the role that we play is, is, you know, that ability to do that. And, um, that to me is, you know, I, I always say, you know, the, the, the meat and all that is always kind of the, 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 you know, the, I would say the gravy on the mashed potatoes or the icing on the cake. cake. But for me, it's the preparation, it's the yep. experience, right? It's going out with your buddies and, you know, camping on the night before opener and, mm-hmm. you know, cooking up, you know, backstrap or mm-hmm. tenderloin and, you know, and just getting pumped and ready to go. Like, you yeah. know, Hey, I've got these four bucks that I've seen yeah. and then you get in there and then you don't even see them and you see something else and you're like totally yeah. like squirrel. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just, it yeah. is, it's, it's crazy. Yeah. It's super fun. So what are your, uh, what are your plans for, uh, 2020? So the rest of 2020 has been, uh, well, we talked about earlier, it's been a weird year, but, yeah. um, got a stone sheep hunt that is on the books scheduled to depart july 27th and uh here i am uh june 20th uh, about a month and a week away and i still don't know if i'm going or not so super stressful like super like just like totally will dictate the rest of how my year goes because i drew wyoming antelope tag i drew nevada deer tag i have an elk and deer tag in montana and i also got invited to go back to alaska in november for a deer hunt so it's like if i end up going to bc then some of that stuff may not happen if i don't end up doing this hunt because of the quarantines and everything going on then i've got you know pretty much a full schedule from you know september till you know mid to late november thanksgiving in november which is when the deer season runs in montana so yeah um yeah so potentially um you know could be three different states with tags and uh potentially four if i went to alaska and did another kodiak hunt um so that's kind of what what's on the the burner right now how about you well first i want to talk talk a little bit about 2020 that's actually that saying 2020 pretty soon in the next maybe 21 or actually maybe 2025 saying 2020 will be a little bit taboo so why don't i go back and i'll say hey what's the rest of your year look yeah, like yeah yeah <laughs> 2020 is like that uh 
what a way to start a decade, right? I know, right? Oh, my God. Yeah. Our kids are going to be talking about this one, so. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, um, for me, this is, uh, is going to be a super busy year. Um, a lot of business changes, life changes. Obviously, over the course of the last couple of days, you and I have caught up on a lot of stuff, a lot, yeah. of, a lot of life stuff. Um, I have a lot of stuff going on, and, um, and business-wise, obviously, I'm pretty in, invested now in, in the hunting world, if not the, the archery side of things with the, with the Broadhead Company. But, um, yeah, we're going to be hunting uh, Hawaii here, and hopefully with the quarantine thing, we're in a quarantine at a buddy's ha- house who just happens to have, like, phenomenal uh phenomenal access deer and stuff so twist my arm <laughs> yeah <laughs> pull my toe yeah um but yeah awesome. so uh we're gonna start in hawaii uh knock that out and literally i'm parking my truck i'm not gonna tell you where i'm parking because i don't have my gear in my truck at the airport but then we fly back in from hawaii jump in my truck and drive up to uh northern california blacktail hunt, blacktail hunt blacktail hunt and then uh a couple of us uh, are planning on venturing off, uh, going to um, potentially Oregon. But uh, I have uh, Idaho elk, um, Idaho elk. I have Montana, Montana elk, um, and then there's going to be some some whitetail stuff. You know, I mean, yeah, 2020 is going to be relentless with doing hunting shows and. I mean, all all the all the stuff, the whirlwind that my life is set up yeah, for. It's exciting, man. It is. It is. And it's just one of those things, you know, if, it, if your life's going one way and it's going good in one way, if you don't S or get off the pot, then, you know, yeah. the, the pot's going to leave you and then you're stuck with S. So, yeah. yeah. Um, now take the, take those while you can and, you know, take your lumps of coal when you get them, but, you know, yep. take your, take your lumps of gold too. And when you get those, you know. Yeah. That's cool. And especially if it's something that you're, you know, it's one of the things I realized, especially if it's something that you're passionate about, you know, you just got to. Well, you things. never work a day in your life, right? Yeah. You're it's not, not work it. at that point. Yep. You're not chasing your dreams. You know, you're not dreaming. You're not yep. dream, dreaming enough. But probably the most important thing right now is, is we got to hunt for you. We got to get you a pig. Yeah. And that's going to mm-hmm. happen hopefully tonight. So pig time tonight. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to pig 30. We're going to check out a different spot tonight. So hopefully, uh, hopefully we can get you in on some, but we'll do our damnedest. I mean, they're pigs, so it's not like it's the end of the world, but I tell yeah. you, they motor, <laughs> they motor. And I tell you, my stalking skills, I think over time have, have gotten so much better over time just by stalking in on those animals. And, you know, a lot of people say, well, they're just pigs. They're stupid. Well, mm-hmm. they are, but they got a nose like an elk. Yep. Right. I think they see better than most people say they have mm-hmm. pretty decent hearing and they don't stay in the damn same spot. They're always moving, always moving. They're always moving. Yep. Right. Um, unless they're bedded. Um, so yeah, I mean, man, I've chased pigs for, I don't know. I chase pigs a lot around here Yeah, and, uh, sometimes I'll just go and stalk them just to see how close I can get just for the fun part aspect of it. Right. Yeah. Cause I love to try to trick an animal's nose to see how close I can get to them. But, um, that's the plan for tonight. So yep. you got to get you a pig. So yep. anyway, well, I think, uh, I think we probably need to close out with a little, <laughs> For those what do you of think? you, yeah, that's awesome. For those of you who don't, yeah, who've never heard of this, um, one, you you haven't lived long enough, or two, you haven't lived in California. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I think this takes me back to at least like grade school, for sure. Yeah, wild thing. Yep. Funky yep. Col Medina. Yep. Tone low. All right, buddy. Well, I appreciate it. Thanks for the conversation. Um, I love talking about blacktails. And yeah. like I say, it's a passion for both of us. We we could go on for another hour easily. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, we got another obligation. We're going to go 
try to hammer a pig for you tonight so anyway yep well, yeah it's always a pleasure it's always fun talking hunting talking uh talking conservation and th- talking about things that matter to you and me and yeah. you know and that's who we are right it's yep. it's you know it's like i was joking to you earlier just kind of close out you know have some really close friends like not too long ago i was over at a brewery and one of them came over and he's like man i'm just i'm so glad i'm friends with you man it's like you know you you gave me some of that jerky you made and it's like man you you hunt and you got a freezer full of food and i mean god i'm just so f- happy i'm friends with you i'm like so in my mind i didn't say it i'm like yeah man no problem like anytime you need meat or anything i said no problem you know but in my mind i'm saying you've known me for 10 years <laughs> I've been doing this my whole life. Like now it's important for you to see and know because a commodity that you used to be able to just go to the grocery store, mm-hmm. it's threatened right now, yep. right? You mm-hmm. can't just go buy. When all this hit, there was no meat on a shelf anywhere. There was no bread. There was no toilet paper, all this stuff. You know what? I can survive, Yep. right? Oh, yeah. Give me water tablets. Give me my pump filter. Give me my bow and give me a few other things. I can live yep. off I'll the make, grid. Make it no happen. problem. It'll you know, scary, yeah. give me a loincloth. I'll survive. Right. <laughs> so it's just, it. it's just interesting. Like people, what they're going through now and freaking out. I can't go buy a tri-tip. Well, yep. I'll go pull an elk tri-tip out of my freezer, you know? Yeah, right. So, so at least, uh, if anything about this taboo 2020 year, at least you and I are still able to hunt right now yeah. in, in the state of California. So, yeah. um, uh, yeah fingers Keep crossed it, but yeah at least yours is kind of uh, hopefully nothing changes in three weeks for you let alone anything changing for for yeah. me you know in another month well, maybe we got to just hunt with a mask on so hey maybe that's the next new thing you hunt with a mask on and then they can't smell your breath or social distancing man is there any better social distancing no than secluding yourself on a boat 10 miles off the ocean or in the middle of the national forest somewhere i mean really yeah and you want to tell us we can't do that oh uh, Anyway, good to see you, buddy. Thanks for the yep. conversation. No, oh, yeah, for and, sure. Uh, yeah, good luck this year. Yep, you too, man. A lot of stuff, a lot of irons in the fire, and we'll stay in touch. And um, yeah, I think we're planning on working out some more podcasts. And yeah. Always, yeah. Always, always fun to get on. Always fun to talk about new, cool, exciting things and things that are old, cool, and still exciting. Absolutely. All right, listeners, thanks for tuning in. Uh, we're going to sign off, and uh, we're going to go find some pork tonight. Mm-hmm. So anyway. Shoot straight, buddy. Yep. We're going to put some stuff to test tonight. Yep, that's the uh, that's the plan. Hey, everyone. This is Lucas Paw, host of the RNA Outdoors podcast. Please check out Podbean and iTunes. If you have an iPhone or iPad, go to the podcast app on your device search for RNA Outdoors and hit the purple subscribe button. When doing this, it will automatically upload when new podcasts are loaded and they will download into your queue. For Android users, you can access the podcast through Podbean, Stitcher, or use our website www.rnaoutdoors.com forward slash podcast. In addition, under the RNA Outdoors podcast channel, please leave a review and a five-star rating. These reviews help boost our popularity and outreach. You can also follow us on our social media outlets, Twitter at RNA Outdoors, Facebook, RNA Outdoors, and Instagram, Rod and Arrow Outdoors. All links are in the show notes as well. If you like what you've heard, we hope you'll pass along our channel to your friends and colleagues. Keep up the good fight. We cannot sit by and watch the public lands devoted to wildlife protection wither away. 
There's simply too much at stake. Make your voice heard, speak up, and get involved with conservation efforts. And know that every little bit helps. As we say on the mountain, go farther, stay longer.